Father, we ask that right now you would meet with us and that, Lord, you would open our understanding. Lord, just enlarge our vision for what biblical ministry can look like, what it should look like. And, uh, Lord, we pray that this would be a time of encouragement and edification. And, and Lord, uh, in the ways that we need it, Lord, just instruct us through your word. God, thank you for the, for the Bible. Uh, thank you for a book of precepts and principles that very clearly instruct and guide us. Thank you that, uh, Lord, you've given us the certainty of the words of truth and, and uh, Lord, a very clear mission and vision and direction. And, Lord, these are things that in reading and learning and understanding them, we don't have to sit around wringing our hands wondering what your will is over our lives. Lord, we can read and then we can run. And uh, we thank you for that. Lord, instruct us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're looking at nine ministry principles that we're using at MBT. They're nine ministry principles that, it's not an exhaustive list, but these are the, this is the most concise, most clear list that we could look at from God's word to say, hey, if we will follow these principles in ministry if the things that we're doing in ministry stay within the boundaries and the, the structure of these nine ministry principles, then that's going to help us keep our focus. It's going to help us keep minding the same thing, going the same direction in ministry. And, and it enables us as a local church not to just be pastor-led, but to be Bible-led. We want our people to be equipped. We want them to have the principles that enable them to make good decisions as they're reacting in ministry. Uh, there, there are several, they're different ministries. And so yesterday we looked at the first one. Uh, we are a house of prayer. And we put that number one for a reason. Okay, everything that we have at MBT, uh, I kind of described some of the early days yesterday. There, 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 was, there was very little. It was a small people in a hard place. And and because we are praying people, and because God answers prayer, everything that we have in ministry, everything that's been done in ministry, it's just been in response to the prayers of God's people, and, and for that we're very grateful. We pray for souls, and, and God gives us disciples, and so that's ministry principle number two. At MBT, everything that we're doing, it should fall out to making disciples. We are always making disciples. If what we're doing in ministry isn't furthering this goal, then we're either, it's either something we shouldn't be doing or we're not doing it right. We're doing it wrong. Discipleship is not a ministry of the local church. It is the ministry of the local church. Why? Well, Jesus told us why. Uh, you, the, the Bible is filled with the reason why. God is seeking worshipers, and those worshipers must worship him in spirit and in... Okay, discipleship keeps our worship on point. Whenever we see God for who he is, when we know him according to his word, we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so making disciples has to be the main focus. That's what keeps our worship on point. That's what grows the choir. That's what brings more glory to God and his kingdom. So our churches then have to have a discipleship plan and a path for growth. So I, I wanted to throw this up. We'll just leave this up on the board. This sign is in the lobby of our church at MBT. Uh, it says, get equipped at MBT, the path for growth. This is the game plan that we're working in our local church. And so the way that it works, whenever somebody comes in 
to Midtown Baptist Temple and they decide this is where they want to land, it is a very short amount of time before they realize they need to plug into the cost of discipleship class or our new members class. Both of these are on-ramps to the spiritual growth process at MBT. It is a kind of a wonderful thing. Our church has come to the place. We've been beating the discipleship drum so consistently and so severely over enough time that I, I, I literally, I don't have to actually talk about it all the time because everybody's talking about it all the time. You don't attend MBT for any amount of time until somebody's saying, hey, have you signed up for COD yet? COD, what's that? The cost of discipleship. And this is where basically that started with a Luke 16 or Luke 14 study. We want our people to count the cost before we pair them up for discipleship. We want them to come to the place where they say, I'm going to lay down my life learning and living out the word of God because I recognize God's plan for my life is to be an equipped, able minister. I need to come to the place where I'm making disciples. And so I need what God has for me here in this place because as soon as you get Plugged into discipleship, man, the distractions come. <laughs> there are disappointments. There are, there are things designed to derail you and to get you back into the world with the devil living for your flesh. And so we want our disciples to count the cost up front. And so we have this cost of discipleship class. It's about six hours of instruction. Uh, if you start at the new members class at MBT, that will funnel you. Uh, we do everything. We do our dead level best to make sure you get funneled into this discipleship suit. Uh, shoot. Shoot. Uh, it's a funnel. You know, once you plug in there, then we start, we, start, uh, we start working you toward LFBI. Once you go through the cost of discipleship, we pair you. Uh, you get plugged in with someone who has been discipled themselves they understand the four goals that we have as we teach the material, as we use the lesson, lessons to teach people the Word of God. We're actually accomplishing four goals in the life of the believer. And, and if you've been part of our development of discipleship in the Living Faith Fellowship, you know what those four goals are. Goal number one is to be established in what? Worship. Worship. Goal number two. Word, to be established in the Word. Goal number three. <laughs> to be established in the local church, right? Both in fellowship with other believers and in the structure of the local church ministry. And then goal number four. Some of you need to come with us to the discipleship conference next spring. And we'll get you caught up on the goals of discipleship. Ultimately, the goal is that you would be a minister with us, that you would be making disciples with us. Once you go through those 18 lessons, once you have, you've come to the place where those four goals are now established in your life, you are, you are a part of who we are as a local church, doing what we're doing in ministry. Now you're ready to be practically and tactically trained in ministry. And so... Um, and everybody that goes through the cost of discipleship class, by the time they're done with that, they know that, that it doesn't stop with, with 18 lessons. From there, we're going to train you to be a minister of the things of God. And so we take two semesters. It is the introduction. D2 is the introduction to our, our Bible school, the Living Faith Bible Institute. And in those two semesters, what we do is we talk about 
what it takes to be a minister of God. We talk about the, the spiritual qualities and the character qualities of a man or woman who is going to minister the things of God to the people of God. And then we talk about the stages of spiritual growth. And then we get down and dirty and we talk about the philosophy of discipleship and then how to make disciples. We take eight weeks of training so that you understand that discipleship is God's goal. God's growing his kingdom and he wants to use you to be a part of it. And then we give you some tactical tools, how to do that, how to take these 18 lessons, how to take someone who has counted the cost and to see four goals established in their life. And then we take eight weeks to make sure that you don't end up being a heretic. We do the rules, the keys of Bible study, and then that is two semesters of instruction. That is the introduction to LFBI, and then from there, we want you to do four years of Bible school, and we want you to know God's Word for yourself so that you can come to the place where you say, I know what the Bible says. I know God's mission for my life, and so help me, God, by His grace. I'm going to give my life, laying it down, living out God's Word, investing it into the lives of other people. Is everybody with me so far? That's our game plan. Everything that we're doing as a local church should fall out to the making of disciples who know how, who are equipped. They, they, they know how they're equipped to make disciples that will go and do the same. Whenever we take people through discipleship too, when they get done with the philosophy of discipleship and how to disciple uh, the, the training material, we then make them interns. We just started taking this approach over the last year. We then pair them up with a seasoned discipler. Uh, we wanna make sure they have training wheels on that first round of taking someone through the lessons. We don't just necessarily throw them into the deep end of the pool and say, here's the lessons, here's your eager beaver, good luck. Uh, we put them with somebody that's had some success. They've, they've done this a few times, been around, been around the block, so to speak. Okay. So as a local church, if this is the principle that we operate by, then if the things, growing leader, uh, church member, if the things that you're doing in ministry distract from this principle, in other words, if you're saying, well, you know, I'm so busy in ministry, I don't have time to disciple, <clears throat> wrong answer, okay? Something's wrong because we're always making disciples. And if you're too busy to be a part of furthering the disciple-making, disciple-processing work of this local church, then something's out of whack and we need to go back to the drawing board and find out what our priorities are. And I get that life happens, okay? Sometimes you're going to go through things, there's going to be some things that come up, and you do need to take a, a breather. Uh, maybe it's not time for you to take someone through the 18 lessons. Those should be the exception, not the consistent norm of your life. If you're too busy to sit down with somebody with an open Bible and show them what it means to have a right relationship with God according to his word through 18 doctrinal studies, you're too busy. Got one pastor that agrees with me. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, are you hearing me? I'm too busy to disciple. What in the world? What, 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 what are we here for, right? Reorder. It's like what Pastor George was saying in the last session. Let's take a look at what's going on in our life, let's reorder our priorities because that is the mission. To be too busy to make disciples means you're, you're too busy for God. I mean, let's try to squeeze God into your busy, so important schedule. 
let's make sure that we're keeping the main thing the main thing. Why? Because this is what makes, this mindset is what makes churches like Living Faith Fellowship churches so unique. Uh, We have a motto. We throw this around a lot. Every member a minister. The work of the ministry is not the pastor's job. It is not my job to disciple the church. That is our job. Amen? It is the work of every member. We've read Ephesians chapter 4, right? In verses 11 through 16, every member has the responsibility. Every member has a part of seeing the saints perfected to grow in the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ, to bring them to the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God, to see them come into Christian maturity so that they know how to do the work of the ministry and they won't fall for the false winds of crazy... Man, the false winds of doctrine today have turned into a raging hurricane, haven't they? And except you guys get off your sanctified keisters and get, get to work doing the main thing doing the work of establishing baby Christians into the Word of God, then they're going to fall for some... I mean, there is an all-you-can-eat buffet of crazy on the Internet, and it's just two or three mouse clicks away, and now your disciple has lost their mind. Brothers and sisters, whenever we see people come to Christ, we've got such a short window to grab them and get them established. It's amazing to me. At MBT, we see people come to Christ all the time, and the wolves are waiting in the wings, man. Had a had a bunch of uh, students come to Christ from Africa, and and um, and um, man, they were super excited. They got baptized, and then uh, another church across town with another doctrine, where a lot of people from that country from that country attended, said, "Oh no, 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 you you don't you don't understand. All of the students from our country attend this church over here, and that line of crazy worked, and we lost all but one or two of them." So that. We have to ground people in what the Word of God says, and the window is so very short. Brothers and sisters, if we're too busy to sit down with somebody with an open Bible, then we're just too busy. We need to go back to the drawing board, and we need to, re- we need to reprioritize uh, the, 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 the priorities of our life. We just got to make the main thing. Again, this goes back to what I was saying yesterday. We got a lot of churches, a lot of Christians who will say what is important and they will state what the goals are for the church, but then end up just attending services. Don't waste your life. God wants to use you to establish somebody else in the faith. And man, when that happens and you got this little toddler in the faith that is beholding the wondrous things of God, who he is, what he has said, and they're being established in the principles and the precepts of God's word. And God's using you to see them get their own walk with God. I mean, there's, just, there's just nothing better than that. It's fun watching our kids grow up. Amen? Amen? Brothers and sisters, do not waste your life. Whatever it is that you're doing, if it's not falling out to make disciples, then it's a distraction. Number three, ministry principle number three. We have a final authority. This is another thing that makes churches like ours so different. We have a faith-based view of the work of God. Every member a minister, but we've also got a faith-based view of the Word of God. I don't know if you know this, but God is so much God. Not only can He inspire His Word, He actually can preserve it. And the good news for us is we have the Word of God in our language. 
Praise the Lord. I don't speak English that well. If I had to learn another language to know the Word of God, I would be in so much trouble. I'm so grateful to God that He has preserved His Word for us without any mixture of error in the English language. Come to certainty this year. Did you get the save the date yesterday? Uh, please come for that. And if work or your life hinders you that in that in any way, uh, still get it down and at least be with us in the evening services and try to catch those morning sessions because we're talking about how God has preserved his word. We're going to get a good dose of manuscript evidence at Certainty, the Certainty Conference this year. Uh, I gave you just a, a, a few points, a few things to, 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 to reference in your handout. Uh, many of you are familiar with this basic structure, this basic position that we're outlining here. But basically what you have in terms of all of the manuscripts that our translations today are based on is they, you, you, can, you can absolutely make the case that they break down into two basic camps, two basic families. And one camp, one family of manuscripts, the church has bled and died, preserving and passing down from generation to generation. The other camp, it's in the vast minority, the other camp has historically been rejected by Bible-believing Christians and they have um, typically been better preserved. They've been less used. Um, but in these two camps, okay, so of the over 6,000 manuscripts that we have now, let's think about it this way. Of the over 6,000 manuscripts, these two camps break down in weight as follows. About 95% are known as the Textus Receptus. And they agree with each other about what God has said over the centuries. The other, roughly 5% of manuscripts that exist today are, for the sake of this conversation, we're going to call them the Textus Rejectus. <laughs> because the church has historically, this minority of texts, the church has rejected them as being in error. They are flawed. They are not accurate representations of what God has said and is preserving throughout church history. Okay, so the way this would work is, let's say that these manuscripts are witnesses and they're going to have to testify in a court of law. Okay, everybody with me on the analogy? So let's say there's 100 witnesses and for the sake of math, keeping the math easy, 95% of our witnesses are saying... Uh, we know what happened, we know what we saw, and here is our testimony. Uh, we would say that's pretty solid evidence, wouldn't we? We'd give a lot of weight to that. The other five witnesses, not only do they disagree with the 95, they also disagree with each other. You've got different competing testimonies about the facts that are being tried in this court of law. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, in any other arena, whenever you've got the witnesses stacked in this way, we would all say we know what happened, right? And anybody who does any kind of thinking would say, I'm going to stick with the 95 because that's a lot of weight in terms of testimony. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay, that's how these manuscripts break down. And what you need to know is that the King James Version of the Bible, in terms of the English-speaking translations, the English translations that are out there, the King James Bible is the only English translation that is solely based on the received text. 
It's the only one. Even the New King James Version of the Bible takes testimony from this other 5%, and that testimony is included into the rendering of the English text known as the, King, the New King James Bible today. Does that make sense? The only, and I mean the only, English text that's based solely on the received text is the King James Version of the Bible. Well, okay, I want to know what God said. I want to know that I have a more sure word of prophecy. I want to know that my Bible is authoritative. Does that make sense? Because I want something I can submit to. I want something that I can know, that I can trust. I want something that I can rely upon. I don't want something that I'm wondering, well, did God say that or did he not say that? Uh, We've got competing authorities, competing opinions. And at the moment you get to that place where you don't know what God says, well, then how can I, I mean, if I, if I can't know what God said in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 4, how can I know what he said in John chapter 3, verse 16? The moment a little bit of doubt starts creeping into what God said, well, now all bets are off. Does that make sense? Okay, so in our churches, we don't have competing authorities. Okay, so I think I've got a list of benefits that come out of the, the results of a faith-based view of God's word. Here's what I love about my King James Bible. I don't have to be some expert on all things manuscript. I mean, I just don't. Other people, much smarter than me, (laughs) other people with far more experience have done all the work of vetting. They've done all the work of tracking the history of, of our Bible, okay? Uh, The cool thing is, is I've got something that I can, through what Scripture says about itself and through examining the evidence of history, I can say I have now a more sure word of prophecy. I don't have to guess about what God has said. I can know it. I don't have to wonder about God's will and God's word over my life. I can just read it and run. Okay, that is so huge. Because in most places, in most ministries, the word of God because there are competing authorities, because there are multiple translations used as as the word is being preached, the word of God ceases to become the final authority, and the professor, the instructor, the pastor ends up being the final authority. I don't know if you've been in churches like this before, but, but I have, and I've seen it. And the pastor will say something along the lines of, you know, over here, I really like what King Jimmy says. So notice the little slight diminutive slant he has on the on the text. I like what the King James Version says. It renders it so beautifully. But over here on this passage, I really like the way that the, the translators said it in the ESV. Uh, it's just really, it really makes the point in this passage. But then over here in this cross-reference, notice what the NIV says, and it's so, br- you guys tracking with me? Okay, who's the final authority now? You've got the guy standing behind the pulpit telling you what the best translations are in the different areas of the scriptures. I, I got to go to the ESV for this one because that's the best over here, and the King James for that one because that's the best over there, and the ESV and the RSV and the NIV and the message. And the, ultimately, what ends up happening is, is the guy doing all the picking and the choosing becomes the final authority. And so it's no longer what does the Bible say, it's what does pastor so-and-so say. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, at Midtown Baptist Temple, what does the book say? Doesn't matter what Pastor Miles says. What does the book say? What does God's word declare over our lives? And so, if we were a choir, right, and we're all singing out of different hymn books, 
that's going to cause confusion, isn't it? We need the same songbook if we're going to all sound out with the same voice. We need the same ministry manual if we're all going to run the same way in ministry. So don't buy into the spirit of confusion regarding God's word. God's word isn't just out there and it's, it takes the smartest, most brilliant, brilliant academic to, to divine it out there in the body of manuscript. No, it has been preserved for us. We have the certainty of the words of truth. I thank God for my King James Bible. I thank God for the certainty of the words of truth. I thank God that I don't have to guess about what he said. I can know it with 100% certainty. There is a certain sound in our ministry. And so it's no longer, because I don't want people to say, well, I wonder what Pastor Miles thinks in our ministry. No, what does God think? What has God said? There is a certain sound. And so disciples, as they grow, they need to know. They can know what God's word says. They can know God's will. over. They can know the mind of Christ. And now when they read, they can run. I am just telling you, do the math, do the logic. If you can't trust Isaiah chapter 66, verse 4, if you can't know whether or not, know what or not the last few verses in the Gospel of Mark are, then you can't know what John 3.16 says. If you can't trust any of it, right, how, how can you know that you can trust any of the rest of it? Our God is so much God, not only can he speak through holy men of old and inspire his word, he from cover to cover promises that he will preserve his word. Psalms 12 promises that is preserved pure to every generation. Man, I'm taking that to the bank, brothers and sisters. Um, this is a cheeky statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. You will pry my King James Bible out of my cold, dead corpse hands. Okay, ministry principle number four. Because we have a more sure word of prophecy, our members have to be accountable to it. We got to get accountable. So what we want is we never want to come to the place where any of our members are saying, I have arrived. I now know God's word to such a degree I'll never have to read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it. I don't know. I've been there. I've done that. Man, you've never come close to plumbing the depths of God's words. We need to be growing in the word of God. So we got to get accountable to be students of God's word. It is an active command in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You are to study to show yourself approved unto God. Be workmen in the word. If you don't study to show yourself approved unto God, if you don't do the work in the word, guess what? One day you will stand face to face with the man who gave us this word, the creator of heaven and earth, and you're going to give an account and you will be ashamed. Man, I don't want to be ashamed. Do you want to be ashamed? Man, let's get serious about the book. Let's get accountable with one another to make sure that we're holding each other to the place where we're learning God's word for ourselves. I don't want to ever come to the place where I think I've arrived, where I know it all, where I don't need to be a diligent student of God's word. And so at MBT, what we want to trust the Lord for is that all of our members are growing in God's word. And we do that through accountability. Every year you decide you're tired of being, you know, flabby, lazy, and out of shape. And so what do you do? You pay a bunch of money for a gym membership and you work that thing really hard for a couple weeks, and then you waste several months before you realize that money could be better spent on Netflix or Hulu, and then you shift those funds over, 
and then you get the most that you can out of your money. Uh, you know, that's stereotypically what happens for most people. But if you go to the gym with a friend, you won't wuss out after two weeks, will you? Uh, if you will both be accountable to one another to keep showing up, then guess what? You'll both keep showing up. I mean, you'll at least make it six months before you both come up with some collusion excuse where, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we've got really a lot on our plate. We're just going to take a break for a month, and then we'll get back. And then you know it's over at that point. Okay. What we want to do is we want to say God's worth being right with. We're going to set our want to to the fact that we're going to pursue him, his word with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We are spiritual beings, and so we need what the spirit is saying to be applied to our life. That means we got to get in the book. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, okay, accountability at MBT, anywhere on this path of growth, it can start at the cost of discipleship through discipleship one. Okay, and then as you have been established as a disciple and a discipler, then you want to also be plugged into a small group Bible study. Uh, this also helps us. These small group Bible studies are huge for us because a lot of people, they're very evangelistic at our church, and so a lot of people are actually coming to Christ in Kansas City through Bible studies, whether they're small group Bible studies or one-on-one -on -one Bible studies that people start with their lost friends and family. And it, it helps us to immediately begin to immerse people in a culture of accountability. You know, if you come to Christ in a Bible study, well then, you know, you always, the principle is you just dance with the one that brought you, right? Man, I came to Christ in a Bible study. Why would I ever stop studying the Bible? And so we want to support that ministry principle, that, that, that foundational ministry concept. We want every member of Midtown Baptist Temple accountable with their brothers and sisters in Christ through Bible study together. And so the way that it works is we have our celebration type services. We have our corporate services, and those are on Sunday morning and on Tuesday night. Sunday morning worship, Tuesday night prayer ministry meeting. Our, as our church has grown, we've recognized that, that um, you know, once you get over 150, 200 people in a local church ministry, it's really tough to keep up and keep the body of Christ accountable. And so we began to break them down into Sunday school units. And so now we have what we call our Sunday fellowships. And hopefully this is a place where you can get to know everybody, but then as some of those Sunday fellowships begin to grow, we still need to break those down even further so that we've got groups of, you know, three or four, nine or 10, 15 or 20, where they're meeting together on a regular basis. Some groups meet every week, some meet twice a month, uh, but if you're a member at MBT, you are plugged into one of these Bible studies. Why? because you need to be studying God's word for yourself. Does that make sense? So again, you think about body life. Uh, the average member of our church is attending a worship service. They're attending, uh, the, it's, a, it's a three hour, well, three and a half hour block of time from nine to about 1230. You're gonna attend a worship service. You're gonna be in a Sunday fellowship. This, is, this way, the, the, the people who know you have eyeballs on you. You're being provoked to love and to good works. Um, but then out of that, it breaks down then into a Bible study at a minimum twice a month. You're with a group from your fellowship in Bible study. And then once you come to the place of maturity, once a week, you're on average, once a week, you're meeting with somebody to disciple them. Does that make sense? 
Uh, so it becomes a, a fairly full schedule overall, but it's not exhaustive, uh, exhausting. It's not like running a marathon every week, but it, it is, um, uh, you know, there are several points, there are several contacts throughout the week where we're able to hold one another accountable in the Word of God together. Number five, does this make sense so far? Everybody with me, what we're doing? Okay. Number five, our members engage in ministry service. Okay, in a lot of churches, the way that it works is um, the people give their money, and in their mind, they have paid their dues now, and now we hire professionals to do everything from teaching, you know, the material, putting the program for the church on, to keeping the facilities clean, uh, to running the programs and the support functions that make our country club very comfortable and fulfilling and an enjoyable place to be in general. And then if anything goes wrong, their immediate reaction is, is why do they do that? Why do those people at that church, in other words, something very dysfunctional creeps into the average church member's mind throughout the Western civilization. At MBT, there is no they. There is only we. Does that make sense? There is no they. Whenever you come to our church and you see that something isn't running right or something's wrong, if you're in the trap or in the dysfunctional mode of thinking of saying, man, why do they, why, how, how come they do this or why are they doing that and how come they won't, uh, you're already out of bounds. There is no they, there is only we. And if you see something's wrong, it's because God has blessed you with the insight and the ability and the vision to see what needs to be done because guess who is supposed to make up that lack? Go look in the mirror and find out. It's you, baby. God has raised you up for such a time as this. There is no they. Okay, there is only we. And so, again, Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what are we? We are members of the body of Christ, and we have a responsibility to love and to support and to edify and to build one another up. We've got a responsibility to give to one another. Okay, so ministry service, we're not going to cheat our members by giving that away through hiring professionals to do the work of the ministry. No, every member a minister, every member, uh, every member a servant of Christ and his bride. Amen? Okay, so you get the privilege of learning how to run a mop and a broom. You get that privilege, you know? You get the privilege of learning how to invest the Word of God into the life of a new disciple. Man, that new disciple needs you. And so you need to be available. You need to be flexible. You need to be dependable. You need to be the person that is willing to meet that person where they're at. That's not convenient. And a lot of times, you know, you get a new disciple, man. I mean, they're learning what it means to follow the Lord after a lifetime of living for the flesh, this world system, and and, and being of their father, the devil, man, that can be a rough first six to six weeks to six months, can it? Uh, what are you doing? As a servant of Jesus Christ and as a servant of your brother or sister in Christ, you have the unique privilege to lay down your life loving Christ's bride. Church is a family. You show me a family where nobody takes responsibility, and I will show you a pigsty. Nobody cleans, nobody washes. Nobody takes care of anything. Man, I mean, the rats will take over that house, won't they? Nobody will fix the house when it falls in disrepair. It will fall down around you. And so 
at MBT, man, we are not going to have some professional ministry where we're hiring pros to fill all the positions. I mean, how's anybody going to learn what it means to be a leader in the church if we don't let people grow and take those ministry responsibilities for themselves? There is no they, there is only us. Families, I mean, families that are functional, every member is a part of the supply. Uh, I learned from Alan Shelby way back in the day. It's another motto for ministry. It goes like this. Ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And if that is true, then the converse is true. Biblical relationships exist to serve ministry, don't they? Did you get that? If ministry runs on the rails of relationships, then our relationships exist to make sure that the ministry is moving forward. And so what are we going to commit to? Man, if you're a member, you are committed to the bride of Christ. You're committed to the family that meets at MBT. And now you're going to serve them. We're a body. We're not a business. We're a family. We're not a corporation. And there, again, there's a business corporate aspect to any local church ministry. But it's never that first and foremost. First and foremost, we're, we're part of the bride, man. We're part of the family of God that meets at 40th and Walnut. And so you, God made you the way he made you so that you can lay down your life using what you know in God's word, how God has built you out, how he has gifted you. You get to now lay down your life serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every member, a minister. We don't elect these positions because Ephesians 4 says that God fitly joins each member of the body as it pleases him, okay? So just like you didn't elect your nose or your kidney, I nominate you kidney. No, God knits us together and how he has wired you, then he is going to place you. And then as labors together with God, we now glorify him as a body, as a family. Does that make sense? We're never gonna hire pros. We're never gonna steal your service from you and give it to some professional because they're better trained, they're a sharper dresser, they're better looking, they're whatever. Forget about that. That will never go anywhere. All that produces is a body a mile wide and an inch deep. You need to take up the fellowship of Christ's suffering and you need to, you need to learn how to love and serve unappreciative, selfish people. You need to learn what it means to be a parent uh, to raise up self-centered little me monsters and bring them out of that into the place where they get a vision of maturity to now lay down their life loving other people. Is everybody with me? Okay, that leads us to principle number six. Our leaders are servant leaders. Our leaders are servant leaders. Servant leadership in the church is vastly different than leadership in the world. Worldly leadership is about being in charge, doing things my way or the highway. Uh, it's based on a person's abilities upon their charisma, uh, their ability to be successful in terms of money, in terms of expansion. World's leadership is all about the Benjamins and the authority. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Have you met your boss? You, you with me? Okay, leadership in the church is supposed to look like Jesus. And the great shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen? I know he did for me. Uh, his leadership style has changed my life forever, hasn't it? I trust it's changed yours as well. Okay, so our leaders are servant leaders. That means, and this is, I, man, I picked up on this as I was coming up in leadership in the church. 
there is a temptation of young, growing leaders to come to the place where they realize, you know what, I really am the smartest person that I know. And I mean that in the most humble way possible. And I see everything that's going on in this church, and I, man, if one of these days, I'll have my shot, and then watch this ministry thrive. Okay. Uh, thank you for your humble submission, Antichrist. <laughs> but no thank you, okay? You, you know, I get that you're get, I get that you see that there are things wrong in the ministry, uh, because it's a ministry that deals with people. Anytime you're working with people, there are going to be problems. Amen? Amen? And because we're a family, we have to buy into the concept of forgiveness and forbearance. If you can't work stuff out with your brother and sister in Christ, then you can't have relationships. I mean, forget about it. Go home. If you, don't, if you can't die to your rights and what you think you deserve, you're never going to go anywhere in ministering in the lives of people. You've got to learn how to forgive and how to forbear. You've got to learn how to get low and esteem your brother better than yourself. And they can be messed up from the floor up, right? I mean, they can be totally in the wrong, but until you come to the place like Christ where you realize having them in your life is far more valuable than having your rights met, your expectations met, until you can come to the place where you can lay down your life loving your brother or sister in Christ, you're going nowhere in ministry. You may be able to convince people you're the man or the, or the woman and you can get a little following or a little herd to follow you around, but it's not going to rock the nations for the glory of Christ because it doesn't look like Jesus. Our leaders have to get the mind of Christ, and it's all about denying self. It's all about denying your rights, your expectations, what you think you deserve or how you think the ministry ought to run and say, oh, God, use me to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said it, Matthew chapter 16. He said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In John chapter 21, you remember what Jesus told John? Peter, lovest thou me? Do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know, you know I love you. Three times. The third time, Peter's grieved, you know. Man, I, I know I blew it. I know I blew it. You know all things. You know I love you. What did he say? Feed my sheep. I know. Guess what? It's going to cost you your life to feed my sheep. You know, when you're young, you were the smartest guy you knew. You did what you wanted. We just had some of that a few days ago. Uh, it was your way or the highway, but now when you're old, you're going to be taken beyond your capacity, beyond your comfort zone, beyond anything that you ever planned. It's going to take you beyond your life. You're going to lay down your life feeding my sheep. Why? Well, that's reasonable service, brothers and sisters. Christ laid down his life to buy us back from our wickedness and depravity and our rebellion against God. While we were his enemies, he esteemed us better than himself, and he laid down his life loving us. So at MBT, if you're so awesome that we can't live without you, guess what? So help us, God, by his grace, we're going to live without you. But if you come to the place where you see that the bride of Christ is so awesome, that it's worth laying down your life loving them to feed God's sheep, that it's worth you sacrificing your time, your comfort, your convenience, your agenda. Oh, man, can we talk? Because there's a place for you at MBT. Leaders in the church have to get Christ's mind, this Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 mind. They, they can't have a self-serving, self-aggrandizing agenda 
and get anything done for, heart, for, 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 for Christ, right? If the heart is full of pride and self, then the spirit is grieved and nothing gets done. But man, if we will under the great shepherd lay down our lives shepherding the sheep. And so this is one of the ways that I'll describe it. It's an illustration that I use a lot. Um, the example is praise and worship. Why is it that our praise and worship leaders always end up being the antichrist? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about Eric Phillips, humble man of God. Um, what happens is, you know, the worship leader is leading God's people in praise and worship and the sound system's tuned in and everything just sounds, it sounds like heaven. And the people are praising God and, and, and it's, it's just, man, they're, they're just on, they love worshiping and it sounds like heaven. And the whole time they're worshiping God, they're looking at who? Who are they looking at? Well, they're looking at the worship leader. Well, there was a worship, the very first worship leader got really used to that position Leading, that, leading worship of God is like his favorite thing. And he got so into it, he's like, you know what? They may, let's, just, let's just cut out the middleman. And by that, he meant God. Let's just have all of the worship come to me. I'm getting really used to this. You see what happens? Uh, very easily, the position of leadership can become a place of self-worship. And so I tell people all the time, I don't care how good you can sing. You may be some Pavarotti superstar. I mean, you can, you can sing it and shake it like Elvis. You can, I mean, you may be the most gifted, amazing person in the world. But until you can go to the throne of waste and serve God's people there, and by that I mean grab that plunger and that scrubber and you clean those toilets to make sure that those bathrooms are ready for worship on Sunday. Until you can come to the place where you can do that with joy... I don't care about anything that's coming out of your mouth. Until you can take care of the throne of waste, I have no interest in you leading me to the throne of grace. Does that make sense? Until you can, until you can humble yourself and lead a cleaning team, I don't care how good you can sing, how skillfully you can play. You can just take your awesomeness and go home. We don't need that here. What we need are people who will lay down their lives loving and leading God's people. Is everybody with me so far? Our leaders are servant leaders. And until you are willing to see that bride of Christ, that's, uh, the church, uh, you know, I hear these statements, you know, and I get people are joking and, and it's, you know, ah, it's really fun. Ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. I get guys love making jokes. Man, these are people that Jesus died for. Um, these are people that Christ esteemed better than himself. Man, ministry is great because of the people. And those little me monsters, man, it is a privilege for you to lay down your life loving them. Uh, you know, when, when a babe in Christ, when somebody comes to saving faith, of course they're self-centered, they're self-focused. You know, babes in Christ, by default, by nature, are little me monsters. If they weren't, nobody would take care of them. They'd starve to death. They desire the sincere milk, and so they got to squall and bawl in order to get it. You know, they're throwing a little temper tantrum. You know what? You need the milk of God's word. Hold still. I'm going I'm to cram this down your throat because I love you. <laughs> this is what you need. This is going to make you feel better. You need this. Does that make sense? Um, man, it's a privilege to lay down your life loving the bride that Christ bled out to purchase for himself. Man, if you despise the bride, 
we don't need to follow you. Number seven, we are always training leaders. We're always training leaders. This is very simple. Everybody at MBT ought to have a Paul or a Pauline if you're a girl. Because Titus too. You have a Paul or a Pauline. And as you come into maturity, you still have a Paul or a Pauline because you're always a growing leader. But then at some point, you need a Tim or a Tammy that you're investing in, right? So you want to be able to look, who am I following and who am I leading? Who am I learning ministry from and who am I teaching ministry to? Why? Because we're always growing leaders. Why? Because God is seeking worshipers. And we can't, have you ever been to our building? We can only get just so many people into our building. We can't reach the whole world from 40th and Walnut. What we have to do is we have to train and equip leaders. And then we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be tapping people out for the work of reproducing that ministry around the world. We have to have more children's workers. Why? Because more churches are going to need more children's workers. we got to always be training worship leaders. This is why we had our, uh, one of the reasons we had our summer music camp, because uh, we're trusting the Lord to grow our children in worship arts. You know, I mean, it's, it's, worship is handier if somebody can strum a guitar. That's a good thing, you know. And so there's practical, tactical things that we can equip people with. We need to be growing worship leaders. We need to be growing Sunday school teachers. We always need to be growing the number of disciplers and leaders and trainers. We want these things to grow because the ministry must multiply. If we come to the place where we say, oh, well, we already got a worship leader, you could, no, man, man, we need 10 Eric's at MBT. Why? Because we're trusting the Lord to plant 100 churches. Well, how do we do that? Well, we got to always be growing and training leaders. And so the way that we grow and train leaders, you're never going to believe this we got this amazing approach to it. We do the work of the ministry. And we let people do the work of the ministry. And as the work of the ministry is getting done, the work of equipping people for the ministry is getting done. What that means then is sometimes we make mistakes and there are problems and there are things that need to be fixed and corrected. And we just do that. Oh, hey, you know, yeah, you really stepped in it over here. And uh, yeah, you, you heard all the screaming and the yelling. Uh, that's because you messed up. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's, let's do a little review. Let's talk about that, and then let's see what our approach is going to be moving forward. Does that make sense? Pastors, we have to let our growing leaders get on the field and play some ball. If, we're, if we got them in the locker room and we got them in practice and we're training, 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 and they never get to play, that's very discouraging. Uh, we need to have confidence in the fact that God is at work in the lives of our growing leaders, and we need to pass them the ball. And so I've, I've been made fun of in the past for uh, the frequency in which I will give up my pulpit. And uh, it is uncomfortable for me, both giving up the pulpit and being made fun of for it. But I do it. <laughs> Why? Because our growing leaders need a chance to take the lead, right? They need, the, they need the opportunity to lead. And so that's in every area of ministry. We have growing numbers of Bible studies. Why? Well, because we need more and more Bible study leaders growing in their ability to lead others in the Word of God. We're trusting the Lord to find ways to grow the number of Sunday fellowships. Why? Because we want to trust the Lord for more and more teams of leadership to be able to develop and to grow in ministry leadership. Ministry principle number eight, 
I have to hammer this one because nine is very short, so we're going to go a couple minutes late. Hang with me. Is this okay? We protect unity. This is probably the ministry principle that we have to talk about the most consistently at MBT. Why? Because the devil is always working to sow discord in the church. Uh, I know what the Bible says. Psalms chapter 133 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and it went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. It's from the unity of his people that God commands his blessing over them. Well, if I'm Satan, I look at that and I'm like, I got my game plan. If I don't want God to bless his people, I'm going to make sure that they do not dwell together in unity. Man, I'm a father. I have a family. I have children. I love it when my children get along. I don't care who's wrong. I don't care who's right. I wish they would all just take the wrong. I wish they wouldn't care about who's right. I wish they would just love each other more than they love themselves. Do you see how selfish I am as a father? (laughs) I just want my children to get along. I don't care who's right. I want my kids to be righteous, right? And again, I I, I do care, and I do want to sort out what's right, and I do help them to, 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 to get along. But as my children have matured and as their want to has now begun to be set to, hey, we love each other and we prefer one another. There's a lot of harmony. There's a lot of peace at my house. And you know what? I love it at my house. I love being with my family. Now compare that to another setting where the husband and wife don't get along. The kids are bickering all the time. People are just enduring each other. There's squabbling. There's fighting all the time. All of a sudden now that father, that husband, has clubs that he belongs to. And there are hobbies that he's a part of that will take him out of his home for sometimes days or even weeks at a time. You guys know what I'm talking about? Man, I don't care about clubs and hobbies. People are going to take me away from my... Are you kidding me? There is no place like 12115 East 61st Street. No place. There is literally not one place on this planet like home. It is, the great, it is a little piece of heaven on earth. And honestly, that's the only place I want to be. If I have free time, I want to be there. If I want to have fun, I want to be there. Why? Because the brethren dwell together in unity. It is awesome at the Miles place. I love being there, okay? But now, if they're squabbling, if they're fighting, if there's problems, man, man, the last thing I want to do is take those brats to Disneyland. I don't want to bless them. I want to beat them, right? I I don't want to be good to them. I want to be bad to them. They need that. Is everybody, okay, well... That is a sad little picture of our father. God loves it when his children love one another, prefer one another, and lay down their lives for one another. Our father loves it whenever we dwell together in unity. When we obey his word, when there's a problem, we work it out scripturally. Does that make sense? And it's from this place of unity that God commands his blessing. I've seen and been part of and I've observed ministries where pastors don't get along. Pastors in the same church. Wives won't even talk to each other. What in the world? Are you kidding me? That this is the bride of Christ? Isn't she lovely? No, no, she is a divided me monster. We have to protect unity. 
That means if you've got a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, that's somebody that Christ paid all his blood to purchase. You better dare not despise them. Go work it out. That's somebody that's worth being right with. And you don't get to say you're right with God when you're not right with your brother or sister in Christ. Are you kidding me? You're going to get away with despising them and throwing them away because they didn't meet your expectations? You selfish little brat. And you tool of Satan to ruin and rob the blessing of God over our ministry. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of Antichrist. We must protect unity. you got a problem with a brother or sister, you go to them and you work it out. If you're going around trashing them and you're building factions and divisions, no, we must mind and speak the same thing. This is worth working out. I mean, to despise what Christ bought with his blood, how wicked. Well, you just don't know what they did. I don't know what they did, but I see what you're doing, Satan, accuser of the brethren. We protect unity. Okay, you need help working it out. I get it. you got to talk to someone. Well, Matthew 18 told you to do that. Go get another brother, go get another sister, and go right back to them. And then if they won't listen to them, go get the pastor, and we'll get as much of the church. We will dogpile that in Jesus' name because you got to work this out. Because we desperately need the Father to be pleased with his children. We need the Spirit's blessing over our ministry. This is why we cover the character and the spiritual qualities of the minister of God in, in discipleship too. We have to have people of integrity that say, all right, you know what? It's not all about me. It's about Christ. And so I can lay down my life loving and being right with him and with his people. Ephesians chapter 4 says if we're going to fight, we're going to fight to keep the unity. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have to endeavor, we have to strive to keep the unity of the Spirit that God has given us. Why? It's always under attack. Satan is always at work, pastors, causing division in your churches, always. Because he, he knows if he can get factions, if he can get clubs, if he can get cliques going where people will not put up with, forbear, forgive one another, then the Holy Spirit is grieved and now the ministry is suffering. Let me just put the word out to the Antichrist at Midtown Baptist Temple. I'm coming for you. And hell's coming with, no. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will see Christ's bride I know she messes up, and I know she, mm, she did you wrong, and I know she's Christ's bride. Love that woman. Lay down your life loving her, and if she's messing you over, she's worth you going to her and showing her what she needs to do in order to be right with God and right with you. Amen? Amen. Ministry principle number nine. Ministry principle number nine is kind of a catch-all, because you've got to have a catch-all. We operate in light of spiritual realities. Guess what? There is going to be attack. That ain't nothing but a thing, chicken wing. We knew that. <laughs> we know this. There's always, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Stop fighting with your brother or sister in Christ. There is a spiritual wickedness behind that that we're going to just have to deal with that. And if we're not dealing with those things, well, then we're, we're obviously no threat to a satanic kingdom. So we recognize, we operate in light of spiritual realities. Yes, the devil hates us, but God's with us. Man, so we're never going to get depressed. We're not going to get discouraged. We're not going to waste our time wringing our hands because the market, uh, the bottom dropped out of the market in 2008. Man, no, God is with us. Yeah, we're just a few months old. 
And, and, and probably we ought to be spiraling the bowl of church existence, right? Going down the drain. Man, no, God is with us. And so instead of wringing our hands, we're just going to pray for jobs. And we're not going to be stupid and pray for anything. We're going to pray for good jobs that give us Sundays and Tuesdays off because that's when the church meets. We're going to pray for good jobs so that we'll have enough money left over so that we can send our members on mission trips. In 2008, we should have folded. Many churches did. In 2008, we thrived. And guess what? Our church members have good jobs. And this year, they're going literally all over the world. I can't even keep track of the Midtown Baptist Temple members going all over the world because they had good jobs that funded the work of multiplying ministry for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, these ministry principles help us keep our focus on a biblical philosophy of ministry. It's not exhaustive, uh, but it's very focused. It's what we have used, and, and our testimony is, is that the Lord has greatly blessed it. Father, bless my brothers and sisters. Dismiss us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.